once again, hello and welcome back to a, another episode of Search, Ponder, and Pray, a podcast where we strive to follow the Come Follow Me uh, outline provided by the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, and we try to find personal application for it in our daily lives. Um, if you listen to Tuesday's episode, um, we kind of covered through uh, first Nahum and then a little bit of Habakkuk. And we're going to finish off the rest of Habakkuk and then on through Zephaniah today, hopefully. Uh, we're on a little bit of a time crunch, so we'll see how far we get. Um, but regardless of where we get to, I suggest you, you do your own personal study, as always, uh, because it'll be in your own personal study that you'll, re- that you'll really find that connection with the Lord that we each need in our daily lives. But, um, as the title implies, uh, before let's uh, pray as we search and ponder. So first we'll start off with, with a word of prayer and then, uh, and then we'll see where the spirit takes us. All right. Our dear heavenly father, we are so very grateful for the many blessings that thou hast bestowed upon us. We are thankful for the hand that thou hast had in our lives in guiding us and directing us. We thank Thee for the patience that Thou hast had with us despite all of our sins and our shortcomings. Father, we ask Thee to please, please be with us this day. Help us to have Thy Spirit with us that we might come closer to Thee, that we might see the path that Thou hast laid out for us, that we might hear Thy Word and know what it is that Thou wouldst have us do. Father, we pray ever so humbly for understanding, for guidance. We also pray for forgiveness of our sins, Father. Help us to become better than the people who we were, that we might come closer to living with Thee in eternity. We pray for these things ever so humbly, Father, in the name of Thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so like I said, last time we left off in Habakkuk chapter 2, I believe we um, ended, ended off with verse 4, where it says, um, where it ends, but the just shall live by his faith. Um, so I'm going to kind of just, we're going to kind of run through Habakkuk kind of quickly. Like I said, a little bit of a time crunch, but it'll be all right. So um, Habakkuk, just a kind of a recap, Habakkuk is... Has, has, is feeling remorseful. He's feeling like, you know, God has let the wicked just surround the righteous and they're beating them down. And why are the righteous taking all this, you know, all this, all these attacks when the wicked are so much worse than they, then he doesn't understand why, why God is allowing this to happen. And he's feeling very resentful of it. And God kind of tells him, well, you know, you should, you better buckle up because the Chaldeans are coming. I'm sending the Chaldeans to chasing you all and it's going to get worse. But then God also tells him that even though I'm sending the Chaldeans after you, they're not going to prevail. And so then Habakkuk kind of comes around. Um, he comes around in chapter three. So we'll just jump straight through to chapter three. Because in chapter two, he talks a lot about how how the Chaldeans will be routed and beaten and, and things like that. And I suggest you read it, you know, because it's important for us to, to feel that hope. So Habakkuk starts to feel that hope of 
The Lord hasn't left them. They're in these trials, but the Lord hasn't left them. And then chapter 3 is a prayer where Habakkuk is just, it seems to be either after or uh, after the Chaldeans have been sent back, or perhaps it's just his joy from knowing that this will happen. But let's jump over to the Old Testament uh, student manual uh, on section 22-7, Trust in God. So it talks about chapter chapter 3, pretty much in entirety. And it says, The entire chapter is excellent Hebrew poetry. Habakkuk makes a number of references to the events of Moses and Joshua's time. Anyone familiar with those biblical events will recognize the ones alluded to. The burden of Habakkuk's prayer is for Jehovah to return and sustain Israel in, the, in days of old. This he, he will surely do in the latter days. Habakkuk's trust and was fully in God. Rasmussen said of Habakkuk's Song of Praise, After his experience, Habakkuk felt inspired to utter a psalm of praise to God and trust in Him. In awe at the powers, in awe at the powers and the glory of God, he poetically describes the power of deity over all facets and functions of nature. He speaks of his might to overcome all of his enemies. And then in the spirit expressed also by Job, who said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Habakkuk lists in six, six poetic lines the disasters that should come, that could come to him, but strongly he avers in his last five lines, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy of, in the Lord of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet, and he will, and he will make me to walk upon my, mine high places. It is for this trust in God, in spite of the visits, in spite of the visits, vicissitudes, sorry, the vicissitudes of life, that Habakkuk's message is for us also today a wholesome stimulant. So this is very, it's very similar to um, a lot of the psalms we see from the prophets. It's similar to, as it points out here, it's similar to Job's psalm, where Job in the end is saying, I understand now, Lord, I understand why trials have to come. I understand that despite it all, thou wilt be with me, and I don't have to be afraid of what's coming or what will come, as long as my trust is in thee. Similar to, to Nephi's psalm, where he's saying the same thing, I will, I will trust in thee evermore. There's, there's nothing that's going to keep me from thee at this point. I, my trust is now fully in thee. And I think that's something that the Lord wants us to kind of see with, with Habakkuk is that, you know, of course, he understands we all have those questions. He understands that, you know, we see what's going on out there and we want to say, why? Why is that happening? Why, why, why does this happen like this? And why, why does it seem like the good, the good are being afflicted and being tormented? despite their righteousness and, and the wickedness of the wicked. I, 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 you know, it doesn't make sense. I thought we were promised that if you were, you know, if you were righteous and kept the commandments, that you would prosper upon the land, that you would, that the Lord would be with you. And God in Habakkuk says, I will be with you. I will. You just have to open your eyes and see that I'm there.
All right. So like I said, we're moving right along. We are going to move right on to Zephaniah. Moving just speedily along. It's one of the things that I feel um, kind of a little bit sad about. I feel, you know, <laughs> I told my wife when uh, a couple of Sundays ago when, we t when the topic was on Jonah and Micah. Um, for a lot of people, I would imagine that the the focus was on Jonah. It's a story that everyone knows and everyone loves to hear the story of Jonah. Um, and so, you know, you only have an hour in Sunday school or in, or in your youth class or whatever or whatnot. And so, you know, the, the story of Jonah is told and the story of Micah just kind of gets bypassed. And the story of all these little prophets oftentimes gets overlooked, despite how cram-packed and full of the gospel and of the love of the Lord is in there. You know, they've only got three chapters and they're, they're trying to distill what they think is most important or whoever it was that, that you know, wheedled it down. They were trying to determine what was most important. And these these last few prophets, they have a lot to teach us and I feel like oftentimes they're overlooked. So I'm, I, I would ask you if, if you, if you have the time uh, this week, do spend time with them, you know, study, study out the, the Old Testament student manual, study out, you know, some other podcasts, and then, but, but definitely, definitely study out the original text, the, you know, the Old Testament, Zephaniah chapters 1 through 3, Habakkuk chapters 1 through 3, Nahum 1 through 3, read those chapters, and really see what the Lord has in there for you, because, Despite them sounding like they're only talking about their day, if if you read the, the little little heading on each of the chapters, they're not just talking about their day. They're talking about our day. And while it might be kind of tricky to, to kind of coax out the meaning for us, it can have life-changing impacts on us if we're willing to put in the effort. So real quick, who was Zephaniah? Zephaniah was probably the contemporary of Jeremiah, Lehi, Nahum, and possibly Habakkuk. So like we've been saying, all these little prophets, they're just, you know, they're all together right here at the end. God, God is sending everyone he can before the final destruction. The immediate occasion of his preaching appears to have been the advance of, of an enemy which threatened Judah and its neighbors with sudden and complete destruction. Evidently, the dreaded foe is not their old masters, the Assyrians, nor their allies, the Egyptians, but the barbarous Scythians, who had already disturbed the politics of Southwest Asia. So that's definitely laid out in just... Verse 2 of Zephaniah, I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. And he goes on, I will consume man and beast, I will consume the fowls of the heaven, and the fishes of the sea, and the stumbling blocks with the wicked, and I will cut off man from, from the land, saith the Lord. I will also stretch out mine hand upon Judah, and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off the remnant of Baal from his place, and the name of the Cremarian, Cremarians, with the priest, and them that worship the host of heaven upon the housetop, housetops, and them that worship and that swear by the Lord, and that swear by Malcolm, and they that are turned back from the Lord, and those that have not sought the Lord, nor inquired of him. 
Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guests. So the Lord is is laying out right here, you know, at, the, at just straight out of the gate. Look, the day is here. It is upon you. There is no more time. You, you, how many, how many people have I sent to you to tell you to get ready? Well, today is the day. It's happening now. You have hours left. Maybe days. But it's, it's here. It's here. Any big, long preparations, it's too late for those. God is laying it straight out. The Lord hath prepared a sacrifice, and he hath bid his guests. This is the moment where the servant is running forth in front of the, in front of the uh, wedding party, crying out, the bridegroom cometh. And if the virgins don't have their lamps lit, they're going to be left behind. Now is the time. So, let's go back to the Old Testament student manual and kind of continue on there. A detachment of these ruthless foes who worshipped their swords and gloried only in, in murder and plunder was evidently already sweeping down the eastern shore of the Mediterranean. The prophet had his text and his audience the prophet had his text and his audience good reason to listen. Their old complacency was shaken. They awakened national conscience the awakened national conscience found expression on the lips of the royal prophet. Rising above the terror of the moment, he announced that these pitiless destroyers were Jehovah's instruments of punishment and the catastrophe that threatened his day of judgment. C. F. Keel and F. Delch pointed out that Zephaniah used the imminent danger to stress the universal nature of God's judgment. Zephaniah's prophecy was a more general character, embracing both judgment and salvation in their totality so as to form one complete picture. It not only commences with the announcement of a universal judgment upon the world, out of which the judgment arises that will fall upon Judah on account of its sins, and upon the world of nations on, on account of its hostility to the people of Jehovah, but it treats throughout but it treats throughout throughout of the great and terrible day of Jehovah, on which the fire of the wrath of God consumes the whole earth. Such a message has meaning for people today as the world prepares for its spiritual and temporal judgment. All right. So, so we, we know that um, we can see here that this has um, application, obviously, to them in, in that day. There's, there's, there are... There's an army approaching that's coming to wipe them all out. God is bringing judgment to the people at this time. They don't have any more time. God has said it's done. But also, this is something where God is speaking to us in our day. The verse hold thy peace at the presence of the lord god draws it has a has a footnote that pulls back to habakkuk chapter 2 verse 20 it says but the lord is in his holy temple let all the earth keep a silence before him so these two prophets are playing off of each other as they're talking and they're they're saying look the lord is is here 
you know, this this is this is the little brother who's who's the lookout when mom and dad are gone, who who's now saying, guys, mom and dad are back. They're pulling in the driveway right now. We we've got to we've got to close that, close it all up. You know, whatever we were getting ourselves into, whatever we were doing, it's time to be done. You know, I, I kept warning you that mom and dad are coming back and you didn't listen. Well, now mom and dad are back and they're here and now we're in trouble, you know. So he continues, and it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with strange apparel. In the same day also will I punish all those that leap on the threshold and fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. So he's going through and he's talking about how those who have not prepared themselves, those who have not done what the, what the Lord has asked them to do and have not given themselves over to him, that it's judgment day. It's time to pay. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're the if you're the king's children, or if you're a prince, or if you're, you know, well well taught or well spoken of, or have fancy clothes, it doesn't matter to the Lord. Judgment is judgment. But in this all, we see that balance, that two-edged sword, that it, while it doesn't matter who you are that your sins will stand against you if you haven't repented. The Lord also lays out that it doesn't matter who you are. If you are doing what you're supposed to do, this is, this is not a day to be feared. This is a day of, of gladness and joy because the Lord has returned. The Lord is in his temple. that would be the, the the very a very deciding factor of, in time a very large moment for us can you imagine for a moment that you're walking into the temple of god and as you're checking in, you're checking in with your recommend the recorder looks up and tells you oh i need to let you know the lord is on the third floor in one of the ceiling rooms and he would like to speak with you. Now in that moment, are we filled with dread? Or are we filled with joy? I would imagine that all of us are probably filled with a slight bit of dread and trepidation with that. And that's to be expected. But it, But is it because... We were like Jonah and ran from our responsibilities. Or is it because we are like all the other prophets and people in the Old Testament who, when the Lord did reveal himself to them, fell down on their faces and said, I am not worthy to be in thy presence, O Lord. And the Lord raised them up and said, Thou hast done well. And I have a work for thee to do. Now, I'm sure that that, that day may seem fictitious and far away. But the day is coming. It's not that far distant. 
We cannot procrastinate the day of our repentance. Here in the end of chapter 1 of Zephaniah, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in that day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. In that final day, when it's time to move forward and to start building the true kingdom of God on earth and to really bring about the millennial day, the Lord will tell us, either you will be ready to help us and to push forward and to do the work, or I will send you home. I will send you home and you can stay there, out of the way, while those who did prepare and those who have done the work to be ready will help labor in the field. And we should not be dismayed that when the Lord returns, there'll be work to do, because the work with the Lord will be glorious. It will not be the nine-to-five toiling that we do here on the earth at this time to try and just provide for our families or provide to get ahead or to try and whatever. It will be for the salvation of souls and for the setting up of the kingdom of God. And just like is spoken of in chapter 5 of Jacob. The Lord will labor with his servants in the vineyard. The Lord is now laboring with his servants in the vineyard. That's the thing. In all of this, we hear about the judgments and the, and the things that are coming. And oh, but if, but if you're righteous, God will be there on your side and he will be there. And that's the point, is that regardless of who you are or where you're at or what you're doing, repent now. Come back to the Lord now, and you can have many of those blessings now. Enoch walked with God. Lehi thought he saw God sitting upon his throne. All of these people who either lived during tumultuous, wicked times, and probably for the most part were living in sin, pulled themselves out and up with the help of the Lord and were able to come to him and live in a way that people didn't understand. God is calling out to us from thousands of years ago in these books that we call the Little Prophets. In chapter 3 of Zephaniah, we'll skip chapter 2, but I suggest you read it. It's, it's wonderful. All of it's wonderful, especially when you take the time to understand what it's saying. But in chapter 3, it, the, the, the heading is, At the second coming, all nations will assemble to battle. Men will have pure language, and the Lord will reign in their midst. He lays out what is coming. In the beginning, it's all destruction and it's calling out what's going to happen and it doesn't matter who you are. If you've been wicked, you're going to be destroyed. And then he transitions in chapter 2 
The righteous need to gather together. They need to, to find each other. They need to seek the Lord and keep themselves pure. Keep their eyes single to the glory of God. And he calls out the wicked who will be destroyed. And then in chapter 3, after all that, the Lord says, I will be there for the righteous. Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger for all the earth which shall be devoured with fire of my jealousy. For then will I turn to, to the people a pure language, that they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring mine offerings. In the day, in that day, shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my, my holy mountain. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no, shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall be freed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice, all the heart of, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away his judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. In that day shall, shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, and to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. This is one thing that I thought of while I was reading this and preparing. At this time, when they as they were in, during these the, the little prophets, the books of the little prophets, Israel, uh, the, the children of Israel were split into two groups. There was the northern kingdom that was led by Ephraim, it was the kingdom of Israel, and there was the southern kingdom of Judah, which was obviously headed by Judah. And that was in Jerusalem. And we know that at the end of this, of the Old Testament, the two are laid to waste and are taken apart and taken from each other. These two brothers, Ephraim and Judah, are taken away and lost from one another. Their lands are lost. Definitely by the end of the, Old, of the New Testament as well, Jerusalem is lost. But the Lord has promised his family it will not always be that way. Zion will be raised up, and the kingdom of Israel will return. Judah is even now rebuilding Jerusalem and is fighting and is building it back and gathering together all those, the Jews of the, of the tribe of, Ju of Judah. The two kingdoms are once again being established upon the earth. The Lord is preparing his people. The Lord is preparing for the great and dreadful day. Great and dreadful. The balance of the two. The two-edged sword of justice and mercy. 
In verse 20, at that time will I bring you again, even in, in the time that I gather you. For I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth, when I turn back your captivity before, the, before your eyes, saith the Lord. Once again, the Lord is telling us that if we will come to him, he will break our chains, remove the bonds from off our necks, our yokes from us, the burdens from our backs. If we will take up his yoke, if we will take up his burden, if we will do as he asks, What more could we want? To labor with the Lord in the vineyard. To bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. To save not only ourselves, but our families and our friends. And then to stand as a city on a hill, a light, a beacon to the world, to guide them to Christ, to prepare for this day. Be not afraid, be only believing. God is with us. God will protect us if we hold true to him. I testify that he lives and that he loves each and every one of us and that he calls out to us from thousands of years ago, from shepherds of old, from poets of old, from old politicians, from old prophets who ran away and were swallowed by great whales, from prophets who lived in the Americas, from prophets who lived in, in the old world, from prophets from the 1800s, from a small row of trees in upstate New York, from prophets from the conference center. The Lord is calling out to us through our scriptures in our hearts, in our minds, through our friends, through our family. Will we listen? Will we return to him? I pray that we will. I pray that as we do so, we will be able to see that our eyes will be opened and we will see the greater truth and light that the Lord has, has for us. That we will see his glory and the arm of the Lord unveiled in our life. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.